Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. If I can gather your attention, uh, everyone should sit down except those who are talking to my wife. <laughs> I would be grateful if you guys would help me remember that when someone makes ask a question that I repeat it even though you've heard it these folks haven't heard it I listened to Larry uh, yesterday and I by the way appreciated his class it was a tremendously difficult challenge to open up the doctrine of the Trinity and you you you're a brother you make sure you tell your brother that I'm grateful for his labors and what he did last Lord's Day. Uh, and I have a special guest with me today, one of my dear friends uh, who doesn't live terribly far from here. Uh, it's Bobby Boswell. So I'm glad Bobby's in here today. <laughs> Bobby and I are hanging out. Hi, Evelyn. So um, in a few minutes, Tim is going to come in at about 20 minutes till and we're going to watch a brief video that I think is going to uh, just, well, what I hope it will do is wow us. We need to be like just almost staggered when we think about the glory of God in creation. So I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but that'll be a nice little, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like having a little dessert in the middle of a meal. You probably don't like to do that, but I like to do that. I actually like to start with dessert. I mean, Jesus uh, had the best wine at the front of the wedding, not at the end. And the, you know, the observation was, why did you do this? Let people drink a little bit, and it does, then it doesn't make much difference what the quality is. And I'm like that with dessert. I like, my wife doesn't really let me do that, but I like to eat, you know, a good piece of cherry pie, and then we'll jump into the turkey. <laughs> So in the middle of this, we're going to have a little dessert in terms of something that will just uh, stagger our minds when we think of the glory of God in creation. So look forward to that. Uh, we are actually in our 13th study. I, I did start it, Dave. Thank you. But I always want you to double check with me on that. This is actually our 13th study. I know it's just chapter 12, but we had an introductory study. We're under the general topic of the doctrine of God. And this morning, it's our privilege to think together about God being the creator. And we'll think about his creating, and we'll think about what he has created. And how we should respond to understanding better and better that our God is our creator and the creator of all things. It should have a bearing on the way we think and on the way we live. So I want to reserve time, as we always try to do, to draw out from some of you the implications of the doctrine of creation. So I'm going to just generally ask the question, how do you... How does this affect you when you think about it? What does it do to you? How should we respond to the glory of God as revealed in creation? What difference should it make in our lives? Maybe even how can we use what we understand about creation to witness to an evolutionist, those who don't believe in a creator? So we always have to come to the so what, don't we? God forbid that we should be theologians without asking the question, so what? We always have to wrestle with, so what? Otherwise, it's just visceral, it's just intellectual, it's just something up here that doesn't change our lives. Now, when, it, when we come to the doctrine of creation, and as, as we've read the chapter, and I do encourage you to read the chapter, I know that some of you don't always read the chapter, and you're not required to read the chapter. We won't make you go stand in a corner and put your nose on the wall if you, if you confess that you don't read your chapter. But I would still urge you to do it, 
and to appreciate the fact that Dr. Allison has labored very hard to bring this down to a layman's level. Now, if there were no challenges in it, then probably he wouldn't be dealing faithfully with the truth of Scripture because the truths of God's Word still, properly understood, should sort of blow us away and say, I don't think I, I can't even conceive of that. I don't understand that. And there are truths along those lines regarding creation. But so I'm encouraging you, read the chapter, read the chapter, read the chapter. And the other thing I would be grateful if you would try to do each week is to read the chapter. Okay? So that will help you. Some people, like I know Dave, and there may be others, um, like to supplement their study by reading uh, Grudem on systematic theology. And Allison and Grudem are very close. Well, here's what I want to say is Allison is fundamentally following Grudem's outline with some variations. This is a great, helpful book. This too was written so that lay people could understand. Did you happen to read Grudem this week? You got the big blue one. Well, that's, that takes even more courage. <laughs> this is a distillation of the big blue one. Did you know that? He, he literally eliminated 600 pages of a book um, that was just called Systematic Theology. Okay, so as we think about creation this morning, and as I've studied it, here's, what, here's my MO. Here's my modus operandi. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read for you seven statements. The first three formulate a sentence, but I'm going to break that sentence down. One, two, three. The second two statements are a sentence. I'm going to break them down into one, two. So three plus two is five. Then I'm going to have two separate sentences. And this will be my way of directing our attention to what I think we need to think about and wrestle with with regard to creation. So I'm, going to, I'm just going to read them to you twice. Then I'm going to go back to them, okay? So the first three formulate a sentence. God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing. Sentence continues. That's point number one. God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing by simply willing it and speaking it into existence. He created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing, by simply first willing it. Obviously, God isn't going to speak something that he doesn't desire to happen. He has to desire something before he speaks it into existence. And then the third part of that sentence to end it is for his own glory. So we're going to break those down. So I'm just going to read that sentence one more time. God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing by simply willing and speaking it into existence for his own glory. Now, the next sentence, which adds two more perspectives. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation and everything they made is good. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation and everything they made was good. In fact, as you know, Genesis 1 tells us when when God looked back at the totality of it, instead of just saying, and, and it was good, 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 he looks back and says, it is very good. And I want us to think about the goodness of creation. So that's sentence two, actually parts four and five. I'll read it again. 
All three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation, and everything they made was good. And now, sentence six, and then sentence seven. Though creation is distinct from God, it continually depends upon him. I'm kind of explaining it ahead of time, but that's just a way of saying creation and what's created are not the same thing. This is not God. This is not God. Well, it's made out of, out of a bean that grows on a tree that God created. But the tree is not God. God is distinct from all that he created, but nothing he created can continue to exist unless he upholds it. Okay, that's number six, and here's number seven. That good and perfect creation is now under a curse and groans for future restoration which will take place when the new heavens and the new earth are created. So how do we study the doctrine of creation and just just go away from it and pretend that nothing happened? What was very good now is characterized by a fallenness. Didn't didn't an earthquake take place this week in Alaska? Thankfully, I thought of your husband when he used to live in Anchorage. Thankfully, no one died. That's extraordinary. But there are what about the wildfires that are taking place in California? Have you ever heard the likes of that? There are still three or four hundred missing people. There's, they're going through houses and with rakes and shovels and digging up, trying to find bodies. And those fires weren't all started by an arsonist. Lightning, perhaps, with some of them. And tornadoes, and we won't go into all the effects of the fall, okay? I'm just saying that that good creation is presently under a curse, and it's groaning, and God's going to recreate it. That's it. Okay, now at the risk of being overly redundant, I'm going to put it all together one last time. I think it's a good principle for teaching. It's repetition. God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing by simply willing and speaking it into existence for his own glory. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation, and everything they made was good. Though creation is distinct from God, it continually depends upon him. That good and perfect creation is presently under a curse and groans for its future restoration in the new heavens and the new earth. There it is. That's what we're going to cover now. Now, the challenge is, wow, how many verses of Scripture should we look at to prove (laughs) all seven of them? If we looked at three for each, it would be 21 right there. But we need to look at at least two passages of Scripture for each one. So let's start with the fact that God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing. By the way, there's a Latin expression for that. And if you want to uh, play with it sometime and tell your friends, that did, did you know that God created that out of nothing? You can say he created it ex nihilo. It's like ex ni. Hello? <laughs> Ex nihilo just simply means out of nothing. So when your wife uh, or your husband asks you, how did you do that? What did you 
what did you use to do that? You can have a little fun and say, I did that ex nihilo out of nothing. And then they'll really be impressed. How would you like an assignment that you have to create something out of nothing? Um, isn't an artist uh, a creator of some sorts with small C and quotation marks? Yeah. Give them, and just say, I, I want you to create something. And the artists are going to say, okay, give me a canvas, give me some paint. No, 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 I want you to create something out of nothing. Well, it's ludicrous, unless you're God. But just to stop and think that God didn't use anything that pre-existed in order to create. He didn't have to have something to work with. He just had to will it and speak it. So the, where we start with the doctrine of creation, we shouldn't be surprised, it's with Genesis 1.1. How about that? Let's quickly notice again what God says. And in order to save time, I might just show you a couple other things in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1 so that we, we can minimize how many times we go back to Genesis. Okay, the first words of the Bible are in the beginning. So that means there's nothing that preceded this except eternity and God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now if you jump down to um, verse 3, it says, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light did not exist. God commanded it. He willed it. He commanded it. Light suddenly appears. And you know that's the pattern throughout in verse 5. And God said, let there be an expanse. And there came an expanse. In verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and so forth. And it was so. And we see this again and again and again. And God said... Verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse. Verse 20, and God said. Verse 24, and God said. Then God said. You see how I'm already into the second part of the first sentence? God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing and the important thing here is that in the beginning, when there was nothing, by simply willing and speaking it. So we have, let there be, let there be, let there be. God desired it, and he commanded it. He spoke it. And the second he spoke it, it happened. That's what creation is. But I also want you to run over for a moment to Hebrews 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11.3, and it says, <clears throat> By faith we understand that the universe, the universe, by the way, the heavens and the earth are the universe. Allison points that out. See, for us there's the earth, and then there's the heavens. Well, how far do the heavens go? We're going to see something about that in a minute on this little video. Is it just uh, the clouds? Is it just our solar system? Is it just Jupiter on a clear night? No, that's just a tiny little solar system that belongs to a galaxy called the Milky Way. So are the heavens just the Milky Way? No, they're the billions and billions and billions and billions of other galaxies. Those are the heavens. God spoke them all into existence and created them ex nihilo, out of nothing. So we see in, in this passage in Hebrews verse 3, the heavens, the universe was created by the word of God. Now notice this, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
Try to make something visible out of something that's invisible. Try that one. Try to make something that weighs something and can be measured that can't even be seen or weighed or measured because it doesn't exist. Try that. That's what God did. This is a passage that teaches ex nihilo, out of nothing. Okay. Um, One more verse on that, Psalm 33. 6 and 9. This is a great passage. Allison directed us to us. That's the first thing I do whenever I study these chapters. I just read all the verses first. Psalm 33. Just please notice verse 6 and 9. And I'm reading these just to save time. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word. There we go again. He just spoke it. He just spoke it into existence. And by the breath of his mouth are all their hosts. Hebrew parallelism, two ways of saying the same thing. Now go to nine. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now sometime when you can't sleep at night or you just want to be wowed and worship and praise God for his attributes of wisdom and power just lay in bed while your spouse is sleeping and think about that think about it until you just say I can't think I can't it doesn't get me anywhere I don't I'm just wowed how can someone speak something into existence by their mere word that doesn't exist that's what God did in creation. Now, I think I can squeeze this in just before Tim comes. I want to remind you that he, he does this. He did this for his own glory. So, since we're in the Old Testament, just quickly go over to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. And notice verse 7. Now, you understand there are many, many, many other passages that we could turn to. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made for my glory. Why did God create the universe and everything that exists out of nothing? By his merely spoken word. Reason number one, for his glory. So we need to stop there and say, how does creation glorify God? Does it just mean that he feels good about it? No, it means he had a purpose. It doesn't say for his inner satisfaction because he had a need. No, he didn't have any need. He was perfectly happy before creation. I think I told you there's an old Negro spiritual that tries to capture creation and it has God speaking. And we heard this at Bob Jones. Remember, uh, who was the famous history teacher, Camilla, that... that, Dr. Panosian. Panosian, you were just about to say it, weren't you? Do y'all, were you all there when he, uh, he, he narrated that and someone sang that in Vespers? And God says, I'm lonely. I know what I'll do. I'll create a man. God wasn't lonely. He wanted to display his glory. Isn't this an application right now? So when you look at creation, what should you see? Please don't just enjoy the smell of a flower or the the intricacy of its design. When you see a rainbow, please don't just say, that is beautiful. Please go the next step. How can that be? Oh, that's God's creation. What does that show? It shows his power. It shows his wisdom. 
It shows his goodness. He could have made flowers that just looked pretty, didn't have any smell. He could have made food that's just nutritional but doesn't taste good. So we, see, we should see the attributes in God's creation. Don't let the beauty of creation go by without praying. And with your kids, stop and say to your kids, hey guys, this is a doxological moment. So what's that, Dad? Doxological? It just means giving glory to God. Let's just pray a minute and thank him for the beauty of the Grand Canyon or the beauty of the sky or the beauty of that creature. We, we were recently at the St. Louis Zoo, which is an amazing zoo. It's number two in the nation. And looked at creatures that I've never seen. Some of them never even heard of in my life. They all declare the glory of God. Okay, so... This is, all, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then Tim's going to help us see something. Now, when, he, when we go to Genesis 1, I, I'm not going to take you there again, but you know this. You're familiar with this. I've already said it. Six times God says, the Bible says, and it was good. And it was good. And the seventh time, he says it was very good. Not just good at manifesting his glory, but good for us. And we should embrace the goodness and thank God for the goodness. Look for ways today to see the goodness of God in creation. And then thank him and say, God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so great. You're so wise. You're so powerful. But you're so good. And didn't Paul tell us that God has given us everything richly to what? Enjoy. We're not, we're not ascetics. We don't believe that God is most pleased when we live a miserable life and try not to experience pleasure. God created us pleasurable beings and he gave us a world filled with billions of things that are designed to give us pleasure. Enter into them. Don't don't become addicted to them in the sense that you just live for pleasure apart from God. Be a Christian hedonist. And let that pleasure bring you back to God. Boys and girls, isn't this beautiful? Isn't it wonderful that God made this? What do you think we should do right now? And eventually you'll train them to say, Daddy, we should pray. What are we going to do? Are we going to ask him for something? No, we're going to praise him for something. Teach your children to be doxological. Okay, so Tim, are you ready? Okay, flip the lights out, please, and uh, let's just enjoy this little thing for a couple minutes. This is the glory of God. That's what I want us to see. I want you to be wow.
I want to take advantage of your presence. So just tell us, how does this thing, the first time you saw it, and by the way, as I was looking for something like this yesterday and talking to Tim, he suggested this, and he was the one who first brought this to my attention. As soon as he said, you're going to building on the lawn, I said, oh man. What I like about it is because it not only shows you you know, the universe, but it goes into the microscopic. So, how does this strike you? What are your comments? Just, and I'm not expecting anything eloquent, but you like this video. What? This, this is as eloquent as I'll get. It just blows me away. Yeah. Yes. The, the bigness and the smallness. And the detail, the, the big detail and the tiny detail. And that's just a taste. Yeah. That's just a little. That's just a little bite of how magnificent creation is. It's. it's I, what can you say? My goodness, so it's how, the glory of God. How plausible does it seem to you that this this was the result of an explosion of some gas or something? <laughs> that not, kind of design. Not. That kind of design. You know, there have been billions and billions, by the way, of explosions in the world. You know, every day so there's an explosion somewhere. None of them have ever produced anything but disorder. Okay. Thanks for your comments, and thanks again for suggesting that. So, isn't it, the rest of you, just a quick comment or two before we go on. We've got, we're doing well. Um, how are you, how are you impacted by seeing something like that, Joe? Well, uh, while you were talking and watching that, this reminded me of the Fibonacci numbers. You know how they occur in nature. Uh, we see them in everything, and you can look at the stem of a of a plant. And if you look down on the stem of the plant, you can see the sequence of the Fibonacci spiral, or some or the golden spiral, similar, but uh, the Fibonacci narrows as it gets uh, further in. But uh, but it, the the numbers it's a mathematical sequence in everything. And you can see it especially in shells and flowers and stems of plants. Even in, uh, while you were zooming out there, you can see it in the, uh, in the universe and in the galaxy and the way that it all is. There's, you can see the Fibonacci spiral in all of that. I don't know if you've ever looked at that, if people are familiar with Fibonacci. Never heard, I personally don't know that word. Um, Fibonacci? Yeah. I know about Liberace. <laughs> Liberace played a piano, and that's to the glory of God, but Fibonacci was his brother. If you take yeah. a cut of a nautilus shell, I think that's what it is. Yes. I sent you, I sent you a, a link just a minute ago. Oh, thank you. Golden Spiral. I'll send you this other one. Okay. Oh, good. Um, and you can see this Fibonacci. There it is. Uh, if, if ever you get a chance, Google the Fibonacci um, spiral in relation to God. And you will find like creation type stuff about how these how this sequence of numbers is a lot of things in nature and it'll blow your mind like that bit. It's really interesting. Thanks for pointing that out. Other reactions, Larry. Remind me of the verse, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And um, you know it, it just um, it blows me away that God would have us as his creatures made in his image and this, this immense universe and that we would show his grace to us. Yes. And you know that begins with um, the heavens declare the glory of God. He was thinking about that. So isn't that, hang on one sec Martha, I'll try to finish this thought, isn't that one of the applications then for the Doctrine of creation. If, you know, somebody says, so I hear you're, what, what Sunday school class or disciple you class are you going to at Heritage? Well, I, I happen to be attending, and by the way, Pastor Keith has a great class going back there. And this class is not in any competition with his class. But some folks said, could we, could we have some systematic theology like we did in the, in the old days when Pastor Sam was with us, <laughs> so forth. Uh, I'm not Pastor Sam, but sure, let's get there. So. Uh, my point uh, was, if I can remember, that the... Well, now I don't remember what my point was. What was it? Somebody tell me what my point was. You can tell people that you're in Sunday school class. That's it. 
And you could you can use it for the I think this is what it was. If not, I'm just gonna make this one up. Uh, yeah. So you can use this to talk to your unconverted friends about how do you explain the majesty of the universe? You really believe that just happened? Um, it, you know, and I think it's I think it's an opportunity for witness. So what we what we've done right here in the middle of this class is we've jumped into application. We're, just, we're not just studying the doctrine of creation so that we can study something that's theological. Well, our church is very theological. Well, I hope people do say we're very theological. But I hope they say, but the theology is something that always pushes us into some changed behavior, some changed way of thinking, some changed way of living. So that when we think about God's power and wisdom in creation it yes it blows us away which is kind of a, another way of saying it puts us on our knees and it gives us comfort in the midst of a crisis because this God is capable of doing anything when we pray to him and it's an opportunity to witness isn't it to people now why do you believe in Jesus and God and creation and all this stuff and we can launch from that that pad and and turn it into a witness. So I think that was what I really wanted to say. So Martha, your comment. It's almost exactly what you're saying because we can all see creation and I've listened to scientists who deny that there's a creator. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how they do it except that they're so fallen. Yeah. Because it proves itself. Uh, you know, they can't, it's, they're just using words to describe creation as we've been told. But where did it originate? And right. Anyone can ask that question. Where did the first thing ever originate? Right. Right. Because they know that is it physics, the law mm -hmm. of physics that say you cannot create something out of nothing. Right. They even know that. Right. No, that's great. And I think we should be bold enough to raise that question with our evolutionary friends and be gracious. Don't be smart. I like. Don't try to pin them down. Don't try to make them look like a fool. Hope that they will conclude on their own that they're foolish. But, um, you know, I like to say to these people, well, you know, the Big Bang Theory. Have you seen those t-shirts, I believe in the Big Bang Theory? God said, let there be, and there was. <laughs> That's the Big Bang right there. <laughs> but to say, okay, what blew up? Well, they were gas gases. Okay. Where'd they come from? Where'd the gases come from? And just keep pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. Yeah. Alicia. Oh, yes. Yeah. Everybody should Google Lou Giglio. What's the title of that? Because he's done many things. What is it? Okay. Indescribable. That's really, really, really worth watching. But, you know, you push, if you push your evolutionist back, ultimately he has to be, believe in the eternality of matter. Are you with me? I'm not trying to be too philosophical. There had to be something. You can't create something out of nothing. There had to be something. Well, how did the something come about? What was the cause of the something? Well, it's something else. And you go, but eventually, what was the cause of that? Well, we, we don't know. But there is only one uncaused God, or only one uncaused God, cause, and that's God. God was not caused. And this blows us completely away. God always was. God never became. You can't grasp that. It's like some of the stuff Larry was trying to help us with last Sunday on the Trinity. You can only go so far. Boom, you hit a wall. And then when you hit a wall, boom, get on your knees. Worship. So we believe in the eternality of something ourselves, but not matter. We believe in the eternality of an intelligent, gracious, powerful, wise person. It makes a whole lot more sense. So, but the answer to uh, when Martha said, I don't know how they do this. Well, I don't know how they do it either, but I can tell you why they do this. Why do people prefer to believe in evolution over creation? Somebody help me with that. Jim? If we can explain a way how things happen and what happened and all that, we can do away with God. 
That's exactly we right. We don't want accountability. And, we don't, and I was going to just say, why do we want to do away with God? And there's the answer. Because the God of the Bible is a God who says you can't have sex with somebody before you're married. It all comes down to and, and, and a thousand other wonderful things. I'm just saying ethics. Yeah. But we, we don't... We ourselves. Sorry? We want to yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. We, we want to be autonomous, but we're not autonomous. We Jeff. want to be our own God. You know, That's right. Uh, science yeah. much developed out of the Re- uh, Reformation. Uh, and instead of just believing in what the Catholic Church told you, they studied to determine why things happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of it was become, becoming your own God. Let's make gold. Which kind of raises a question. What do you think about uh, Christians becoming scientists? How about that? It belongs to us, by the way. Yeah. It doesn't belong to them. We need Christian scientists. And there's a, there are a lot of Christian scientists. There are a lot of Christian astronomers who believe that God started it all by saying, let there be. But uh, there is a passage of scripture that really explains this, this impulse to not have a God, and there are probably several actually, that's a careless statement, there is a passage, which one do you think I have in mind? I do have one in mind, Romans 1, Romans 1. We, we are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, we're holding it down. Don't let that come out, because that's going to say, I can't keep doing this. That's right. And it's, as I said a few weeks ago, it's like holding a, um, a volleyball underwater in a swimming pool. You can do it if it's not too big of a ball, but the second you release the pressure, boom, it comes up. We willfully suppress the knowledge of God with which we were created, because I'm not going to obey that God because I'm God. And the moment you make me bow down to another God who tells me what I can do and what I can't do, you've just robbed me of my autonomy. Get out of here. There's that inward hatred for the existence of God. A God who has not only spoken everything to existence, including us, but made us morally accountable to him and told us how we should live. We don't like that. But you know what? You guys like that. Why do you like that? Sometimes, yes, there's enough sin in us. Exactly, good point. Good point. At moments, we just want to say, God, would you, would you please let me alone on this one? I don't want to. I know what you want me to do. I don't want to do. And I know what's wrong, but that's where I am. But why do you basically want that now? We're new creatures. Because you're new creatures. God has graciously rescued you from that sinful propensity to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, now let's... Question. Yeah. Go ahead. We have two, or it's just one. You're asking, you're raising your hand for your wife. I don't know if I've been thinking about this wrong all my life, but he says here the creation includes the heavens, and I believe that. The Bible says it. He says, or the realm of God and immaterial angelic beings, and the, and or the realm of God and the uh, immaterial angelic beings. I have always thought of God as beyond the universe. Not part, not that his realm is. I'm, I know he's on that present. Yeah. But I've uh, never thought of his realm being within the universe. I don't think he means he's, he's bound to that realm. I think he means that he, he works within that realm. He knows that um, Allison and Grudem and every uh, systematic theologian worth his salt knows that the universe exists within God. God is always outside of and larger than the universe. I don't think he means to say that he's confined to it. I, he, it's just like he's in everything here. as So the whole universe declares the glory of God, and he's in it in that sense. That's what I think he means. He doesn't include the earth in that, so that's why I was... Yeah. Well, but he does in other parts of the chapter. I think in other parts of the chapter, he affirms that God is upholding the universe by the power of his might and so forth. So I, I see that it's a good question. You're thinking. You're thinking while you're reading which so that's a pretty good thing to try to do. Okay, so review. God created the universe and everything that exists out of nothing, ex nihilo, 
by simply willing and speaking it into existence for his own glory. Now, all three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation. Just to check, did you all know that before you read the chapter or before you came here today? <clears throat> Probably a newer thought to some of you. That's fine. Um, we often think um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we just naturally attribute that to God the Father, which is, which is legitimate. But as we study the scriptures more carefully, there is one person of the Trinity who seems to be, um, shall we say, more preeminently involved in creation than the other two. And who is that person? Nope. The Son of God. Most passages teach that Let's just look at one, John 1. Let's quickly go to John 1. This is, um, but the Spirit, by the way, I said that too quickly, the Spirit is very involved, and that's the one that we probably think the least about in terms of being involved creation. Okay, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That means it's a distinct person. And the word was God, that means he's equal in divinity. He was in the beginning with God. Larry t distinguished last week in his class on the Trinity between Jesus and the Son of God. And sometimes we talk about, well, Jesus was from all eternity. And, and you know, I, I want to say carefully, not in a way that's hurtful. No, no. Jesus was born. Jesus was the humanity. Jesus was the God man. You'll never read in the Bible about before time there was the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There was the Father, the Word, or the Son of God. So he rightfully distinguished between that in his class. But no, so keep going here. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Well, who are we talking about? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is clearly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He is the Word. The Old Testament speaks of him as the messenger of the covenant. So this passage and many other passages speak frequently of the work of Jesus, excuse me, the work of the Son of God. He wasn't Jesus. He had not yet become a man in creating. So we'll just look at one more on that. Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16. Again, I'm reading for two reasons today. One is to save time and two is that it will be clear on the recording. Colossians 1.16. Boy, here's a passage to meditate on for a while about our Savior. Let's start actually with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. When, when they looked on Jesus, they were looking on the Son of God as well because he was the God-man. He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Who are we talking about? Right here, right here, Jesus. I mean, the Son of God. Sorry, I'm breaking my own rule. The Son of God. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Angels, by the way, unless they take the form of a human being, are invisible. Hebrews tells us they're ministering spirits. There may be angels in this room this very moment. So there are invisible things that God has. The, the demons who are some of them free and others perhaps in some form of confinement cannot be seen. You can't weigh a devil. You can't grab a devil and put him in a chain. He doesn't weigh anything. He's a spirit. 
He, God created them, it's just that they fell. And now they're in uh, wait, waiting for judgment. So, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. All I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that there are more passages that speak about the preeminence of Christ as the agent of creation than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Does that mean then that he was the only creator? No. I'm asserting that this creation is triune. That's what you studied last week, Trinity. And again, harking back to Larry's class, we distinguish between the Trinity, the essence of the Trinity, and the function of the Trinity, which we sometimes call the the economic trinity, it just means that they are all equal in power and glory, but they have decided among themselves in holy eternal counsel that the Father would choose a people, the Son would die for them, the Holy Spirit would come and regenerate them. So there's a distinction in terms of their work and their function. But the emphasis in Scripture regarding creation is upon the second person of the trinity. I could show you many more passages, but I won't. And then the Holy Spirit is referred to in Job 33.4 and in Psalm 104, verse 30. The reason why I'm sort of hurrying here is because I do want to leave a moment or two for application. So I'm not going to labor this. I'm just telling you that all three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation. And everything they made was not only good, but very good. We've already applied that. That means, folks, we can enjoy creation. We should enjoy creation. When you drink a good glass of milk, (laughs) you all thought I was going to say wine, right? So I'm going to say that. When you drink, if you enjoy that kind of thing, when you drink a good glass of wine, which I know very little about, I'm not a connoisseur, I enjoy the taste, but I know very little about it. Just, you know, drink it and say, ah, that's so good. And then say, why is that so good? Well, it's the kind of grape it comes from. Where did that grape come from? And get back to God. Always get back to God. And enjoy the good things. But don't end up making them the object of worship. So train yourself whenever something is really good, to say, thank you, God. It's only good because you're good. Get back to God, get back to God, get back to God. Okay? All right. So um, just a word about the distinction. Uh, Obviously, I've already said that. I don't have to go on that. Um, Colossians 1, did we read verse 17? Yes. Or we didn't? Okay. And he is before, wait a minute, this is Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is talking about the Son of God, by the way. Context makes that very clear. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and so forth. Um, the passage that I think that I really had in mind is in chapter 3. But I, I, I don't think I'm finding it this very moment. But God is Jesus. God is distinct from creation, but creation depends upon. So... It's where all things consist. In him all things consist. Can someone help me with that? I hate to miss that. It's in Colossians. It's in Colossians 1 and verses you would Did I just read it exactly that? Well, no, the ESV translates it all together. Okay. The ESV translates it. Yeah, okay. So so that that's the point. He is God is 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 a is a banana tree God? No. But God God sustains all of creation. Okay, and then finally, that good and perfect creation is now under curse and groans. I mean, we could spend, wow, could we spend a week on this so easily? The effects of the curse. If I just stopped and said, okay, what are some of the signs of that this world is cursed? This earth is cursed. This universe is cursed. You would just come up with just all kinds of evidences of it. And it's groaning, according to Romans chapter 8. You should go there sometime and 
and, and read particularly verses 18 through 25. But what's going to happen? It's going to be recreated. And Isaiah 65 speaks of it in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Uh, when you get burdened about this present world and what it's like being under the curse, just rejuvenate your hope and your joy and your peace and your consolation by rereading Revelation 21 and 22 because it's a description of the renewed earth. It is going to be amazing. Some say better than paradise. It's, it's paradise restored, paradise lost, Milton's famous work, paradise restored. How do, what, what price did God have to pay to restore the universe, the blood of his own son? He had to reverse the effects of sin and the fall and the curse. But on the renewed earth, there will be no evidence of curse whatsoever. No sickness, no disease, no colds, no pain, no hospitals, no drugs, no pharmacies, no tornadoes, no mosquitoes. If they do, they don't bite. No venomous snakes. The lion will lie down with the lamb as it did prior to the fall. They were not car carnivores then, they were herbivores. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. The glory of the renewed earth. And it's ours, purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, got to quit. Any quick thoughts about the doctrine of creation and what it does in your heart? What it should do in your heart? Pastor Mark, a comment, and then Dave. Uh, your comment about enjoying creation is important. Because not everything about creation in the fall means that the earth's completely spoiled and we can't enjoy anything. Do you think you think yeah? Do you think Christians get into kind of a false bondage about enjoying the things that God has said? Yeah, fair game. I think you read the New Testament and they, they, we've always struggled with that again. Okay, okay, Dave. I was just to say, um, just a little study of either the universe or man itself and all of that. Uh, to me, the most fascinating thing yeah. is you see over and over, over again the glory of God, and, and it's, it just blows me away. You know, I have a hard time with it whenever I, I get into astronomy, which I like. You know that. Yes, I do. Uh, it's just uh, every time I go into it, just a little bit, it just amazes me how great creation is. How beautiful. For those of you who don't know, Dave, that's sort of a a pastime for him, sort of a hobby. He's sort of a an amateur um, astronomer. Just loves this kind of thing. Reads about it, studies it, looks at pictures. You still look at those things every day? Yeah, try to. What is it that you look at? It's Astronomy a picture, picture of a... Of the day. What's it called? Astronomy picture of the day. Astronomy picture of the day. Yeah, in the archives. And if you notice Pastor Keith's um, Facebooks, he frequently puts up pictures of of galaxies and that's his whole goal he sees the glory of God in it. let's pray Heavenly Father we really should take an hour right now just a just a mere hour to worship and praise you as our creator as our glorious creator as our good and kind and merciful creator but we're going to worship you together in a different context in just a few moments. But help us, Lord, to think about these things. Thank you for creating us. We wouldn't be having this discussion. We wouldn't even exist. And then to think that you've redeemed us and opened our eyes so that we're no longer suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Lord, help us to live as though we really believed that our God is this kind of a creator. So now, Lord, go with us and bless us in worship. Visit us. Help us especially to focus on our Savior's redeeming love and shedding of blood on our behalf in the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ted, if we, instead of setting up for lunch tomorrow because we're having communion tonight, we need to take all these tables and just stack them against the wall in the gym. That would be very helpful when we just leave the chairs. Right now? Right now, yes. Okay, thank you.